Okay, hello, and thank you for watching episode 29 of Dano Says So. Um, another one of these lucky episodes where I get to talk to somebody I've known since the beginning of time, or what seems like the beginning of time. Um, Rob Hayworth's pedigree in music is freakish to someone who grew up with him in Orange County, because he touched all of these crucial bases in Orange County. He played with me and Mo for an answer. You know, he did time with Farsight. He was in Hard Stance, whose, whose record I was lucky enough to be involved in. That's all largely guitar mileage. Then he turns up, you know, a few years off my radar as a vocalist, State of the Nation, Second Letter, radically different bands with a more pronounced agenda and a level of sophistication that clearly developed in the time he was separated from me. Um, uh, that said, he is Dr. Rob Hayworth. He is a, a longtime professor and an editor in several reference works regarding uh, education in its various forms. Uh, that said, I still reached out to him for permission to call him Cubby and got it. So, uh, Rob Hayworth, thank you for doing this. Hey, no problem, man. It's my pleasure. Really, really great to see you. And I mean, even though it's a virtual thing, I really, really appreciate you having me. It's, right. it's awesome. So to sidestep all those great accomplishments and all that dignified stuff, how old were you when we were playing together? Because in the greater Sierra Orange County, you were the youngling, you know? I think... I want to say I was 14. <laughs> and uh, I wasn't barely. sure I was that young, but I thought there was a chance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, 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 I have to admit that No for an Answer had a 14 year old memory. <laughs> hey, you were picking me up and driving me to the garage. <laughs> I don't even know whose house was that. Was that Master Polo's? Or? No. So here was the thing it was none of ours. So we knew in sort of the generation before, you know, I met all you guys from Irvine, sort of that Casey, Dan, Gavin, Dubar, Longry generation. There was a yeah. family of hardcore kids, the brother and sister, Steve and Corrine Highland. And Corrine Highland was still living with her parents. And Casey and Corrine had dated at some point, were really good friends. So no friends are practiced in the Highlands garage. But by the time we were playing together, Casey wasn't in the band. And we were still practicing in the Highlands garage. That's so funny. Because <laughs> yeah. I remember just pulling into that, like, garage is open, we're ready to play. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> and to, I grew up very blue collar. To me, it was like borderline mansion, you know? They're oh, like, yeah. And there were refrigerators full of candy and <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't forget the struggle. Don't forget the streets, Rob. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Struggle's real. Right. Um, was Hard Stance the first time you played with your brother? No, I actually played, and the, the, you'll laugh at this. this is, I mean, this is a crazy story. So I was up in Northern California, and I was playing, my brother and I were playing together um, uh, up in actually Napa Valley. Mm -hmm. And uh, we started getting together with the, this drummer, this guy Dez, and then uh, this other guy, Justin, who later on became, I don't even want to go into it, but he, he became one of the Nazi skinheads uh, on, I think, it, I think it was Geraldo or one of the shows or whatever. Oh yeah. That, um, oh yeah. And so it was awful. So um, I'm glad I wasn't around him during that time, but, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, we, we were called disengage and it was just a, a, and we actually ended up playing down in Southern California and we played with the sort of prior version of hard stance, which was called discrepancy. And I've forgotten um, all about that. Yeah, and we played at UCI. We played out at, at UCI, and that's where we started, you know, hanging out a lot more and um, and just meeting everyone. You know, I mean, I, we already knew, you know, Eric and uh, 
and Mark knew Zach somewhat. And mm -hmm. so it was like, we kind of already had a sort of affiliation with each other. It's just a matter we were living in Northern California with my dad at the time for a bit. So, um, yeah, so it was, it was, so we, so I ended up coming back down here, Mark started playing with hard stance. And then I started playing with you guys. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I was like, I want to play. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so I ended up, you know, I mean, there's a couple other things I tried to start or whatever, but it is really um, mostly just like, you know, you, and then it's stepped into hard stance. And, and from hard stance, I mean, your original far side, yeah. Yeah, I, I started far side. I mean, that, that's the thing. People get all weird about that. It's like, this, and there's two things, just, and I'll, I want to, you know, make sure that's straight. You know, with far side, I started that from scratch. Like, you know, we, I got um, Bob together. I got... Um, well, it's Josh first was yeah. the first bass player. And then, um, and then we actually tried out Popeye mm -hmm. and it's a funny thing. Cause we actually, we had this, there's this like tape tape recorder and we were like taping it like during practice to hear his vocals and stuff to try out. Mm -hmm. And the, the tape actually stayed recording and we started talking and he left the room to talk about, you know, like what was going on and what, you know, what was happening. You know, he needed to leave the room so we could talk about, you know, do we want him in the band? And so we ended up at, or talking to each other and it's still recording. He took the tape home <laughs> and listened to the tape, like, and us going, yeah, he's, yeah, he's awesome. This is great. He's in the band, you know? So it's like this really uh, kind of interesting point of while Bob's drums were all over the place, he actually had a, a, a rope around his bass drum because it was such a piece of crap that it was like, you know, it's all over the place. And so, right. it was, and so that, that's basically how we started that, you know, that band. And then, um, and then on top of that, then I, I played with Inside Out originally too with Sterling mm -hmm. and it was in the original lineup of that. And, um, and well, so that's that, the thing for that era. I mean, in a lot of these interviews, it comes up that the thing, the thing was so, so much smaller and there was so much cross pollination in the 80s and in the early 90s. Yeah. The people often, they want to call bullshit on things. You are a prime example of somebody who was basically moving in a 10 foot concentric circle and still touched all of those bases, you know? <laughs> I remember, well, I remember like at the, because we did the reunions when no one gave a shit, right? You know, we did like, mm -hmm. it was like three years after we did the Inside mm -hmm. Out reunion because uh, we wanted to, you know, uh, raise money for the Western. Well, the, and the Cattle Club in Sacramento was part of that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I rolled out for that. That was how yeah. I played and Sarah Zimmerman and I came out. Yeah, okay. yeah I think that was Rancid's first show too. Might have been. I don't know if I watched him, which I guess if I wanted to have super street cred, I could brag about that now. You know, but uh, but uh, or you were I there. You were up, there. Or, or come <laughs> off like a cynical douchebag. But either way, you know, yeah. Okay, I want to make sure that was that show. <laughs> no, but so we we um um yeah. So we ended up. So there's a lot. Yeah, we definitely like touched on them because we were all the Irvine group was was always like, let's try some new stuff out. Let's you know work on some new ideas or you know and people like hey we'll start another band here or you know even with Farside I mean even Zach played with us for a bit you know just because we just wanted to it's like when people didn't have something to do or get a band started it's like let's let's you know come and join us this is this is all right you know so when you're that age a year or two's difference can seem generational you know like I, I interviewed Ian McKay this year and he's well known he's four years older than I am yeah and I think of him like a fucking father you know um so uh, it was an interesting thing because I came from a group of people who, like, kind of largely like maybe class of 1985 types, 
you know, and we thought we were the nucleus, Orange County hardcore, right? And we're the vanguard and we're the ones, we're breaking down the damn walls to steal from the East Coast, right? You remember that big show at that church in Irvine? Oh, yeah. That, where they had the shield in front of the drums. And that was the first time I saw Farsight. And I remember looking over at Gavin and going, we're fucked. Being like, being like the worm has turned. Orange County is a different place now. You know. It was, yeah. we definitely, I mean, and that was the thing is like, I just, you know, I, I wanted to do something different and, and try something out and, and, uh, and, and see where it went. And I, I, and to me, punk rock is about that. It's like, Hey, I'm just going to try something else. I don't really care. And at that time I was listening to, I think Cusker do 24 seven. So it was like, mm-hmm. I just wanted to, and I think bad religion in my head was just like, and I was like, I want to just do something like that. I want to combine these sorts of things together. I was a really huge uh, mold fan. So when, you know, when you start hearing like acoustic guitar and distorted guitar, I was like, well, this is crazy. How's he doing this? What's going on here? So I really wanted to push some boundaries on that and, and kind of push my songwriting. I mean, I, I mean, I learned how to play pretty vacant by the sex pistols from Timmy C, the bass player from rage when I was 10. Mm-hmm. So See, I remember yeah. somebody buying a bass rig out of his garage yeah. <laughs> when we were all back then. And I remember the first time seeing video of rage, I was like, like you know like fucking <laughs> fucking Irvine man <laughs> who would have thought so you know but then you know it's it's like I learned how to you know play rhythm from Zach and and I mean he really taught me songwriting and understanding like just conceptualizing you know you know songs you know and so and that's kind of where I, I then as soon as I found some of that stuff out I really took off from my, myself at least to try to figure out some ways to to do some, some different projects and stuff like that so that that was been that's been fun. Let's talk state of the nation because you yeah. turning up you turning up as a singer, and with and with well and with a with a pronounced uh, social agenda was an eye opener for me, in a good me way. Maybe, in one way, it made me wonder why I always had such a condescending perception. Now I feel forgiven because he was fourteen. <laughs> you know. Um, but anyway, first off, it's fantastic work. All of, no, all, all of the stuff, you know, all of the stuff post that early Orange County phase, I've been very impressed with. But tell me about the space between and about sort of the nature of that mission. Um, with State of the Nation, it's kind of crazy because, uh, and I'll, I'll be perfectly honest, we were mm-hmm. just talking about Vic Bondi. Right. And, and, I, and I moved out to Salt Lake City because it was right after actually I got back from Europe with, with uh, Rage. And uh, I was just hanging out with them. And I just, I needed to figure out, do I want to go to school? What do I want to do? And so my brother goes, hey, come out here and we'll, uh, we'll hang out and, and uh, you can go to school here at University mm-hmm. of Utah. And it's like, okay, great. Let's take, you know, check it out. So, um, and on top of that, like I had already gone to Salt Lake a bunch of times because I played in that band Insight. Based you, okay. one, yeah, just for one summer when I went on tour with them, uh, I think it was 1990. I was still on Farside, but I, I, the reason I remember yeah. them is I believe for they the played the 411. Yeah, I, I, yeah, definitely. Um, and so I came out to Utah and my brother just hands me this Jones Very CD. And he just goes, dude, you got to check this out. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I listened to him and went, oh, shit. <laughs> I, I got to, this, this is on a whole nother level for me, like in terms of uh, the intellectual sort of, aspect but also um just the sheer rawness of it and and i could never do it justice but i mean i I just really liked 
what he was trying to do vocally and as well as musically. And I think it all came together with some of the projects on that and even Alloy too later on. And just, and, um, and so for me, like that really resonated with me to kind of build state of the nation around that type of, you know, kind of, it wasn't fast. It wasn't like crazy. It was just like, it was rock, but it had some, you know, some other tunes do it and trying to push little boundaries here and there. And, and so that's a sort of summary of like, you know, and, and of course I was also listening to everything I could conjure up with Bob Mould and, and, uh, and try to figure out like what was happening with that and going, Oh my God, I love all this. And, um, and try to fuse that together. And, and that, and I think that's, and, and really playing with my brother was a whole nother, you know, I, my brother's bass playing is, you know, it's not because he's my brother, he's a great bass player. He's so, still playing yeah. upside down. Yeah. <laughs> And it's funny because there's bass lines on some of those songs that you can't really do playing the other really? way. It's okay. A, it'd be very difficult to uh, play. So people get a little weird, like, how did he do that? That's kind of weird. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so that, that's, uh, you know, so that's kind of like where it was state of the nation. And, and then for me, I just wanted to figure out, you know, what kind of politics I wanted to work towards and really work on some, you know, um, for me, it was like, doing a sort of melodic sort of kind of punk rock stuff, but, but having it really kind of drawn out with that sort of, I, I mean, I really love the song by his, you do Diane and just like that, just driving, you know, just like slower, like just, Whoa, that's yeah. crazy. So, but it just sounds just beefy. And, um, and so the last song on that album was just, I mean, it's basically for me, like a rip off of that. <laughs> so it's like on the, on the, uh, the second album. So we'll call it the sincerest form of flattery. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, by that time, and I'm thinking what you're describing to me is that sort of 94, 95 ish, and not bothering to do the math on your age, but were you approaching or had you begun your career in education? Hadn't hadn't touched it really. Um, I I actually by that time, I had finished probably about. I was still going on tour. Like I used to see at W's all that withdraws all the time at University of Utah. My brother would be like, Hey, we're going on tour. I'm like, what? We're halfway through the semester. <laughs> we're screwed. He's like, no, no, we got to go. And I'm like, okay, cool. We'll go. Um, and so uh, I really didn't kind of conjure anything up. I was doing a, I was substitute teaching sometimes and then uh, working with a, a pretty, uh, mostly in group homes with uh, people with special needs and and uh and and so I ended up going okay what am I going to do and so I started taking some education classes right before uh we stopped playing and uh and I ended up going okay well uh, let's I wanted to start another band though after that because my brother was gone he started working in the music industry and stuff like that and and uh and I ended up just going like hey I'm, I'm gonna I want to try to start another band so I did start another band this band called Ludlow okay. and uh we didn't put anything out and just basically we played is actually um yeah we moved to LA we played a bunch with Bluebird we played a bunch of shows like you know all the time you know actually yeah played a bunch of times with them and, and other uh, bands out there and um and we just kind of like just wanted to do it full time right just full. I have, I have a question for you I don't yeah. mean to interrupt you're making me think yeah. of something but is that a band that you ended up putting a great amount of time into and were extremely passionate about and the record not being there does it bother you kind of yeah yeah i mean, it, I, I, mean I, have, we, I have i have one of those i did a band in the area for six and a half years and i think the closest thing to any documentation of it is a is a is a four track 
on the floor of a dirt basement in Oakland, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, and that's true. I mean, and so like we went to Time Bomb Studios in Laguna Beach and recorded a bunch of stuff there. And we we're doing demoing. I mean, we had like, it, it was kind of a, we we're kind of moving in directions of like, okay, we're going to, you know, maybe sign with a label or do certain, you know, and um, possibly with a major. I mean, we met with, you know, a couple people from Sony and a couple, I mean, they came to our shows and stuff when we played with like, you know, that later on the get up kids. And I think we played a couple other shows with the other folks, but, um, and I, I, we fi I finally, and at that time too, I was actually part of a cooperative, um, a worker owned uh, video production company out of Los Angeles called regeneration TV. And we were doing actually doing music videos. We're doing interviews with, uh, you know, different bands and stuff like at the drive-in Sunny real estate and, you know, just a Chumbawamba. We had all these different, really great, um, and we were doing, had music videos people could watch, but it was right the cusp of, it was 97, 98. So the real player, people were like still on dial up. Right. <laughs> and, um, and so <laughs> it's funny, we, we put on a show um, with DJ Shadow and Cut Chemist. And uh, we tried to do like a five camera angle, like live stream using uh, real media, real player. And the thing just crashed out and it's just like people were all pissed off. And so we ended up putting out as a DVD, but it was like, you know, we, we did all that stuff, but we were on the cusp of doing some really cool things. Like we, you know, we're, we wanted to get kids involved in politics. So we're like really um, doing interviews with different bands. Um, people were giving us money to help support us and doing that work. And, and we're all run cooperatively. So we run like, like a more democratic process um, in our workplace. So it's it super awesome. And we, I had a great time doing it. It was a lot of work, but, um, I mean, we ended up doing so many really fun videos and fun uh, sort of news programs. We did a bunch of stuff. We ended up doing the stuff with Rage Against the Machine um, for a bit. And we did we did some stuff with Rance. We did some stuff with uh, Jurassic 5, who's a hip hop group. We, I mean, we did a lot of different just people. I mean, we did, and did a lot of protests and stuff like that. We worked with indie media at the time and, and Seattle, when Seattle went down in 99. So it was a lot of a lot of work, but it's great. It's so was it is that is that when WTO TO was? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so we and so we ended up uh, we ended up. Uh, I, I basically wanted to do that full time as opposed to playing in bands, and I was just kind of sick of like being the. I mean, you know, this is like you know, you're basically like, okay, I want we want to do this, and it's like the other you know some other people don't want to do it or not motivated and you're like okay i've got to do everything <laughs> you know and i just and uh the player coach as we call my brother back <laughs> and so we ended up doing I've never that. heard so, that it's perfect yeah you player coach you contributed <laughs> to my personal lexicon now <laughs> i remember yelling at my brother on tour i think we were in europe or something like that i'm like fuck you fuck he's yelling in his face and he's right. just that stoic six foot four just like get in the van <laughs> and I'm like, I go I hate you I was so frustrated he's like don't you get mad he's like just get in the van we're going and it's like <laughs> so we we always uh and of course other band members go whoa that was crazy and I'm like no nah, it's just brotherly love <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say they grew up in the same fucking house yeah. <laughs> so but anyways that that's so that's uh so I was doing Ludlow and that at a time and, and we have some demo stuff. I mean, someday I might look at working, working on getting out, but I, I just, mm -hmm. I just, uh, I wish we had, um, uh, like, I wish we would have been working with someone like I, I really, um, with second letter, this last album, I mean, working with a producer just was a whole, I 
I mean, like a real producer was like a whole game changer. Well, why don't we get there and then we'll circle, we'll, we'll circle, circle back a little bit on politics and on education. Because yeah. sure. when you and I were messaging this week, you said that the process to get the second letter record done was involved some serious gymnastics and no small amount of Dropbox, right? Oh man, I, I I've never because so I hadn't done anything. I didn't did my doctorate. I basically and then I was doing academic work just all the time. That was it, and I was wasn't focused on music and and uh, so I was sitting in my basement in Pennsylvania and I'm like okay, I've got all my guitar stuff. I've got this new little box that I can basically plug my guitar into and, yeah. and, and keyboards and other things. I'm like, shit, okay, I'm going to try this out. So I basically said, I'm going to, first off, I need to start play to click track because I know that I'm not a drummer. I can't play drums or shit. So I need to, I mean, later on, I'll find a drummer. So I'll put some fake drums in there, whatever of thoughts that, that I, I wanted to go to. So I started doing all, like I played the piano, I played keyboards, I played, um, I sang on it and just did all these sort of demos of songs. And I ended up running into um, uh, Jim Kimball, Homeji in Salt Lake City. He was actually living in New York and he was playing with uh, Ian Love's band. I can't remember what they were playing, but um, in, in, uh, in Philly. And I went and saw him and he's like, hey, what are you doing, Cubby? I'm like, hey, I'm just writing some songs in the basement. He's like, well, just send me over some. And I'm like, okay, so we ended up... Uh, talking in a sense of he's like dude this is crazy this is really good stuff i really want to you know i'd love to play bass on it and stuff like that and i go okay well let's try to figure something out so i sent him the files up to his place he went in a studio and basically played some bass lines on it we had it we he had another guitarist up there that like played better than i could because my because of my hands and stuff like that um was not i'm not playing as well but i could you know write the songs and uh and play the play the rhythm parts of it but it but we ended up started playing with this other guy and we're like well we don't have a drummer and so all of that came back so i've got this array of different hodgepodge of bass and fake drums and mm -hmm. piano and my vocals and other things on there and i of course write my brother and i go <laughs> i needed a drummer <laughs> i need a drummer he's like oh we're gonna get pete moffat i'm like wait whoa whoa like <laughs> slow down there <laughs> slow yeah, down government issue that'll do you know <laughs> you know whoa government issue is like you know the you know jay robbins all that is like uh, he won't want to play with me this is i mean i'm i'm these are decent songs but i just there's that guy's on a whole nother level um so uh he goes no 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 i'm, I'm gonna email now he emails me cc's me on he's like, hey my brother needs a drummer <laughs> i'm like and i'm shitting my pants literally um because <laughs> i mean he's an icon for you know especially for for growing up and and uh and he's like sure i'll do it and i go holy shit so i send him the songs over i hadn't i i think i've met pete once i met him years ago at, at one of the clubs in la when he's playing for wool and um and i gave it to him and he goes, oh, I'm going to go into the studio and I'm going to go play drums on it. And I go, you're kidding me. <laughs> and so he sends it back. Like, I didn't even know what he was going to do. I mean, I was like, yeah. I had some ideas of what was happening, but he's like, he heard the song and put it together. He goes, what do you, what do you think? And so he did like three songs at the studio and I had not even been in the same studio with him just because it was on a click track. And he basically sends it to me. I go, this is insane. This is absolutely amazing. And uh, so he goes, well, let's continue doing some more. You have some more songs? I go, yeah, I totally do. So 
Um, and then on top of that, I was going over to a studio in Pennsylvania where I was at. It's, it's actually a barn. Um, it's called Noisy Little Critter. And, and basically, we're, I, was having, I found a keyboardist, right, to play keyboards for the stuff, mm -hmm. uh, Corinne Smith. And uh, she was awesome. She's like, and I actually was just going to hire her to play better than I could on it. So, okay. And she goes, I love these songs. And I go, really? Okay. She's like, can I continue playing? <laughs> I'm like, yes, absolutely. You can play with us. So I ended up uh, working with her. And then um, we played uh, a couple of times with another guitarist. And um, and actually um, on the album, uh, well, we we're, we we're actually going to, because uh, Pete was, um, he worked for, um, he works for a, a, a kind of some big pop artists or whatever. And so he, he was gone for a while and we were going to have someone else. So I ended up calling Chuck. And um, and then working with uh, Fred Marcherinos, who, who who did some guitar work on it too, and and basically said, okay, well, let's work on that. And then so I finally go like, I need to find some. We're gonna do a band thing. I gotta find everyone, you know, on the same page mm -hmm. or whatever. So Pete goes, I'm in. Uh, you know, the bass player at that time, you know, Jim was like, I'm in. And then uh, Corinne, who was playing in another band, goes, hey, this other guitarist. He ended up actually, he's from L.A. And he lives in Philly and he grew up in the hardcore scene too. He's younger than, than you and I. And uh, he's like, I'd love to play guitar for you. Like, I got news. He's a lot younger than I am. Yeah. Different <laughs> groups. <laughs> Go on. No, he is. He's definitely yeah. a lot younger. <laughs> hey, I wanted to age us properly. <laughs> all right. Um, but, but anyways, we started uh, basically doing the, the Dropbox thing all the time and just putting ideas back and forth. I mean, there was a time where like we were we wanted this like guitar solo thing and I'm working with the producer just sitting there going, okay, what are we going to do? And we're working on this thing. And finally I call up our guitarist. I go, listen, can you put something together? And all of a sudden it's like within a half hour, he puts in exactly what we've needed and what we wanted. The two things cool. I've always wondered about the process you're describing is does any sense of immediacy suffer? You know, do you find it like any sense of urgency? And the one thing I could see missing and I've listened to stuff. I think it's fantastic. So I'm suspecting you'll probably say no. And then the other thing is that real-time dialogue in the studio where sometimes you come up with your best ideas on the fly. Yep. That's something yep. that I could see being, a the absence of that is something I could see being a challenge. Yeah, so so the second half of the album, we actually mm -hmm. uh, were able to do the bass, drums, and scratch guitar in the studio. Okay, so, so like circle back. Yeah, so we're able to just kind of just do that. And then we just were able to to do some things. But the thing is, is just, I I found it, I don't know, more liberating because I could spend some more time with it. Because, you know, I mean, for you, you know, I, you know when you go in the studio, you're like, okay, we got time here. This is how much money we're costing. Uh, and you're sitting there going like, you know, what am I going to do? So for me, it like I, helps me and all of us kind of hone in what we want to do for the work. But you're right in terms of some of the things that you lose a little bit of that spontaneity or that, that work that you're trying to like, hey, I want you to try this on mm -hmm. this. And, um, and I think that's something that definitely is missing for the sort of live production of it. But in terms of having people all over the different states and stuff, I mean, Pete was in DC, Chris and Corinne and I were in, um, in uh, Pennsylvania, near Philly, and then our bass player was in, in, uh, in New York. And then we ended up, you know, we ended up getting another bass player uh, who ended up being in DC, but still you're having these sort of, you're trying to work with the, all these working parts. And it was, it was really like, it was an eye opener for me, but it's also liberating because I was like, I want to do something before 
um, I guess as I, I want to, I was like, Hey, I want to put out an album before I'm 50. And basically, you know, I said, I, I got, I got a lot of ideas and I just started putting it together and, and we ended up just saying like, let's do it. And we ended up, we ended up playing, you know, we, our last show was opening up for Jawbox and stuff like that. So it was really uh, well, an enjoyable time. I'm going to address three things that you've delivered in the past 15 minutes. First <laughs> off, you had to get something done before you were 50 and you told that to a 53 year old man. He's still recording his best stuff. Absolutely. Um, also, I heard somewhere in there, someone from the cream of the artistic crop, crop comfortably referring to you as Cubby. That's mine as well. I gave you that nickname. And on a far less indulgent front, and I'm just trying to make you laugh while I get around to asking this question and, and getting my stomach up for it. You kept referring to your hand, right? Yeah. And I know what you're talking about and sort of the restrictions and the troubles and challenges you're facing. But I mean, you know, I follow your life to a certain extent and I didn't know about this situation. So could you tell everybody what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I was diagnosed with MS, um, let's see, I think I was about 30. Okay. And uh, it was, you know, I ended up having, uh, you know, basically what we call optic neuritis, where you basically part of my eye, I couldn't see out of I'm like, what's going on? I thought some, something was actually in my eye. Okay. And, um, and I ended up uh, going to the doctor and then I ended up going to the neurologist and doing an MRI and they said, Hey, you have six lesions in your brain and uh, you know, and you have MS, you know, and I go, Oh mm -hmm. shit. So, um, so I ended up going, okay, what, what am I going to do? Um, I, I, I definitely, at that time I was teaching high school and I went from basically, you know, being this very animated person in class and talking to sitting in my desk, you know, giving, you know, giving a lecture or talking to my students. And, and because wow. my, my level of, uh, my level, my energy level is just completely off. And it still is today. I mean, I have to take naps. <laughs> I was going to say, I know so little about the disease. I mean, just to make a complete mockery of my knowledge, what I know I've learned from watching the West Wing, you know. <laughs> You know, you, you know, it, it, my understanding is there are different types and different levels of severity, but I mean. It, right, right. So, so I'm, I'm actually doing, I'm, you know, progressive. Like, so basically I may look like everyone's like, oh, you look fine. Look at, and I go, yeah, I'm good at hiding it. Right. I'm, I'm actually really okay. good at hiding it. So, uh -huh. um, and I've learned over the years of how to kind of piece it together. And, and I think for me, at least um, MS is really kind of, it's, you know, it's, fucked my life up a lot just because I've, you know, a, um, there's things that I can't do anymore. The balancing, the, the you know, the sort of thing. I, um, there was a time like right before we stopped playing, I mean, I, I, you know, our other guitarist had to play this other part because I just couldn't do it. Um, wow. and, it's, and it's be part of it. I get hand tremors and it just like, it just seizes up. Right. So, um, and part of that is like when you start having the deterioration of, <clears throat> of your brain, right. In terms of some of your brain matter, it starts basically, I look at it as like a well, perfect musician metaphor. So MS attacks the myelin around your nerve endings. So think okay. of it as a guitar cord or a mic cord. So all your nerve endings are inside of that mic cord, the rubber right. around it. Sure, okay. And, and so your body is saying that rubber around the mic cord is actually a foreign substance. And basically we need to attack it. And so your body attacks... So your body attacks those those uh, those nerve endings, okay. and you, over time, over time, of course, it starts deteriorating. You know? So, um, so that that's the sort of thing that when people are like, 
oh, now I get it. <laughs> you know, because they're like, you know, because they get the mic chord thing and the, and the guitar chord thing. So it's, it's the myelin around your, your basically around your nerve endings is, is being attacked by your, your, your uh, and that's why it's an immune deficiency, right? Well, this will might come off as kind of an odd question, yeah. Um, but I like these types of things. I interviewed a wrestler, and the thing I wanted to talk to her about the most was what it was like to break her neck. You know, so here I am being morbid, but you you appear to carry this particular cross with rather extreme grace. Was there like was that a process? You know, sort of wrapping your head around it and you know developing some degree of emotional acceptance. Was that difficult? Um, I think I still am. I mean, it's like, really? you know, okay. it's, you know, I, I think I still am dealing with it. And um, uh, it's, it's when, when you, when you're based at 30, I mean, even at, you know, you and I, at, you know, 30 probably were like, Hey, I'm still more, I'm invincible. I can still do, I mean, it's I, actually at the height of my being a gym rat. Yeah. Yeah. There, there you go. So, so same with me. I mean, I was still in shape and, you know, and, and, uh, and, you know, I had kids at the time too. So at that time I had kids, I had twins. Um, and I'm sitting there just going, well, now you get punched in the face with the idea of mortality, right? You know, so you begin to start like reading up going, shit, this person died and this person got a really fucked up. And, mm -hmm. and um, so I, I've learned to just work with my body, just go like, if I got to take a nap, I got to take a nap. <laughs> you know what I mean? If I, if right. I have to, I mean, when I was at Westchester, I mean, I was stressed to the bone because I was, you know, doing, was helping develop a master's and a, and a, and a doctoral program. And you and I uh, talked about that off camera, but this is Westchester university. He's referring to. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so like, I, I would just basically shut my office door and take a nap wow. <laughs> because, because I couldn't, I couldn't, it, it feels like, imagine, imagine if you're going through like an episode or you're, you're feeling the, the, the fatigue of it. And that's sort of the, the, the bottom line of, of, uh, of, of what MS does to you. Imagine taking like a 150 pound, maybe even 200 pound bag of potatoes and putting it on your back. No, I'm going to skip that. Gonna... Yeah. <laughs> and you walking around, like trying to make, you know, trying to like try to navigate the world. And so, yeah, uh, Rob, fuck all that noise. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, you get buff at it. Right? <laughs> okay. Well, it is awfully kind of you to share that situation. I, you know, given the level of discourse and your level of personal achievement, I find it pretty inspiring, but it was on you whether or not we go there. So thanks. No, 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 no. It's, and like I said, I'm, I'm open to chat about it because I, I think people need to know like, hey, I mean, in fact, there, I, I, I did talk to um, a fellow hardcore person um, that had it or that, mm -hmm. that just was diagnosed recently with it and they just want to chat with it. So, I mean, it's, it's you know, it, it ain't going away. So, I mean, it's, it's uh, and so it's good to chat with people about you know what what do you do about it right so it's, it's right listen in there you talked about how it affected your career in academia and your situation at westchester um you are a professor you are dr cubby you are a phd yeah um you have been involved in the creation of reference works on what for lack of a better understanding and this I know bites on the title of one of them, but anarchist pedagogy, right? And just in general, uh, you appear to have found a niche in academia for a while that closely mimics your own political beliefs and your own political agenda as a musician. Wanna share a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's exactly what I was trying to do. And I, I basically tried to uh, 
in doing the work that I've been doing is connecting it with not only music, but also with education. So I, I, I mean, for me, I mean, when, when I was 10, like I started getting my brother started going, Hey, you should check out some of these punk bands. I was really getting into um, the partisans and crass and other and vice squad and other bands. Like that's what really turned me out. Like English punk was like my beginning point of, of, of getting into this, you know, at least the scene. And so, so I was like, like, so like unfolding all of that stuff from G voucher and, and other people like the artists, like going, Oh my God, this is insane. Like these, these are absolutely like the artwork is just absolutely incredible. Um, and it really kind of resonated with me in terms of the politics, you know, throughout who I, who I've been for, you know, pretty much half mm -hmm. my life or my whole life almost. Um, and, uh, and so academics, so like for me, at least is like, Hey, I, what, I can actually do some things in education uh, because I'm interested in, in really how do we, how did we make sense of the world in our scene and our work that we did or that we have been doing. Um, and, and for me, it's like an informal learning process, right? I really enjoy like how people are making sense of the world in those different sort of locales. Right. And so, mm -hmm. and that really resonated with me for me growing up, like, Hey, I learned about social studies in high school but I was learning about Reaganomics and how great it trickled down, you know, economics were and, and, you know, how great Thatcher was I mean, all this sort of crap that we know that is bad. Right. <laughs> and well, how did I, well, in, in school, I was learning like this was the gospel. Right. And so when I got in, when I got at it, or when it, when I was in punk rock in the scene, you go and have pamphlets, you're reading flyers, you're doing all this stuff and going, Whoa, El Salvador, Nicaragua, all that stuff. You start learning through punk lyrics. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, and I'm thinking off the top of my head was that not so quiet about that, that maximum Western front. Yeah. On the, on the maximum rock and roll uh, uh, comp, you know, where they had, they had a song about El Salvador. Let's go to El Salvador. I think it's, in, and, and, and uh, talking about that. And, and um, you know, and then one of my shows that I saw in back East in DC, you know, listening to Bee feeder, you know, talking about Reaganomics, you know? So, I mean, you begin to start seeing like, for me, the, the connections between my, formal learning and how I distance myself from that and my informal learning and how I embrace that. Right. And I really, and, and I really, I, and I think that's something to be said is like some people embrace the other side or some people moved on and said, I don't, you know, that's not for me. I, I need to, you know, kind of join the, the mainstream. And for me, it's like, I've always been like, fuck it. You know, like, this is what I, I want to envision something different, right? I want to reimagine the world in different ways. And, and, Part of me for me for getting a PhD was putting a language to it, right? Theorizing the possibilities and those ideas to help me better understand what I was actually trying to think in my head. So, um, so that was that was helpful for me. And so I ended up doing a lot of work in, in uh, cultural studies, meaning like subculture, like writing on punk rock and writing on anarchism and, and those sort of things, because I thought that was something that was really interesting for me, especially even some of the students that I was working with at, a at the time in Northern California. I was working with some you know, some of the crusty punks that were in my school at the alternative high school that I was at, and, you know, just like chatting with them and kind of under trying to understand like, Hey, are, are they kind of going in the same direction that we were trying to look at in terms of changing the way we. I don't know about now, but without the Bay area in my life, without Northern California in my life, I'm a completely different human being. It for most of my adult life has been the brain of the Western United States. Yeah. So what you're saying makes perfect sense to me. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, think about it. It's like for what you put out in terms of your writing, in terms of your own, I think the larger perception of like what who you are and like how, what you stand for and those things came about after that, like even more so, I think even like, I mean, in terms of, uh, um, and you're I think talking about me specifically. Yeah, I would yeah, say yeah. that's, I would say my work is more accurately influenced by those years, but more, but more remembered for the years before that. Yeah. <laughs> which for me can be extremely frustrating, but Crimea River, it got me to Europe. You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, got you here. <laughs> no, and so, so that's, I mean, that's, and so I, that's really, I mean, for me with anarchist pedagogy is like, I want to find examples of, of educational practices around the world, right? That, that are doing really, um, amazing things outside of the sort of state and outside of the sort of formal sort of practices that we have in, in, in our uh, everyday society. And for me, they're more inspiring than let's say the everyday practices of, of mundane school, which I didn't really want to go to anyway. So did your value system and sort of the expectations, the institutions you were working at, was there ever conflict? Was there ever pushback? Yeah. I mean, I had to hide my, my, when I, when I am, um, I'll not name the institution, but when I was at one of the institutions, um, I actually had to hide my um, my work um, really? because, because of the 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 backlash from uh, some of the people in in my department were horrific. I mean, just really really bad. And so I basically, in many cases, had to hide some of my the work and just go like, and kind of, I guess, uh, soften it up in terms of when I was talking about it to people so they wouldn't uh, freak out. Um, and and sometimes I go, is that a sellout? I go, well, I had to keep my job <laughs> for my kids. But it's like, on top of that, it was, it was really, it was a difficult time. It was actually pretty depressing. You know? I work in a corporate sports bar. I think you're going to be okay. <laughs> How'd you end up teaching in Australia? Um, this is actually another thing that connects with MS. So, um, okay. so, uh, so I was graduating, right? And I was like going, okay. And at that time, I just received a letter in the mail um, cause we were getting, uh, we were getting healthcare, um, and, uh, and we had to get off the, the ones cause we, the university wasn't going to provide it anymore in terms of, you know, trying to get, get it through the university. And, um, so I ended up going, and this was Blue Cross, Blue Shield, I'll name them. Um, they basically, uh, said, and it, it was a form letter, right? So it was just like this, congratulations to my wife and my kids for getting on Blue Cross, Blue Shield. And it was a, actually a rubber stamp prior history right it should have been on a punk like you know right. <laughs> like you should have used it <laughs> and yeah. so they actually had it was crooked too it wasn't even straight it was like prior history someone rubber stamped that thing right. and said sorry sorry uh and I, dr hayworth at that time was like you cannot get uh health care via because of your prior history and i so i just i just went holy shit like what am i gonna do right. and so uh <clears throat> i started looking around other countries and uh, Australia, I ended up uh, doing an interview uh, with them online, actually. <clears throat> and, um, and I ended up uh, getting a job and they actually paid for my resident permanent residency there, oh, yeah. uh, where I got where I got universal health care uh, there, and uh, socialized medicine. And basically, I went there and, you know, they, they even knew that I had MS. And they're like, yeah, come on in. No problem. It's like, and so, so I ended up doing that and, and, and leaving the country. Um, I came back specifically because we had some family members that were uh, on my wife's side that weren't, were not doing very well. So we had to come back and, but 
you know, that, that was, that was something that I really, I, I actually worked about an hour, two hours outside of Melbourne. So it was really kind of a really rural area. Um, wow. but I, re I really enjoyed uh, doing that and the work there was really awesome. So, I mean, yeah, definitely miss it. <laughs> well, listen, I am going to wrap this up pretty quick, pretty soon. There's some things I like to tell you before I do, but I've learned over the course of doing this that I don't always spot the doors or the opportunities. Is there anything else you'd like, you'd like to share before we, before, before we start wrapping this up? Yeah. I, you know, I, I just, well, A, I think, I really enjoyed doing this and, 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 um, and I think it's important because uh, specifically now it's like, you know, I think there was a time, especially, you know, during the nineties and stuff where people are kind of moving on with their lives and doing that stuff. And then even in their two thousands too, and um, that became disconnected, right. With, with people. And, and, and I think COVID on a positive level, it's like, it's actually pushed us to go, God, I miss that conversation i miss those conversations that i've had with those people absolutely and i miss those sort of um those relationships that i've had with other people and so i i so i have definitely tried my best in, in terms of some kid not i've always been, i haven't always done great but try to reach out to some people and, and this and that's why i think this is so great is like you're reaching out to people that are doing some really amazing stuff and, and really um continuing on with music art and those sort of things and i think that's something that we all need you know in our lives to go like and re kind of reinvigorate ourselves and going like fuck yeah i want to do i want to continue doing some stuff and so like it actually gives it gives us some purpose and and uh and also gives us some um motivation to do some other things so i like when you know in terms of your stuff i was like oh he's talking to richie he's talking you know he's like, he's like and i was like damn this is great you know i was like and and i'm you know happy to hear about them like because I, I was always hearing about them from other people and, Hey, I ran into so-and-so and I ran into, you know, so it was like, it's really nice to be able to, um, and it's not just um, uh, kind of reminiscing on old times, but it's, it's, it's actually going, Hey, what are you doing now? Like, what's going on? Like, and, mm -hmm. um, and I think it makes people feel um, uh, that there's purpose, right. And out there, and then there's also some, uh, some, innovation that we can do to, to do, to do the things in spite of all this bullshit that we got to deal with right now. Cool. Well, thank you. That is the headiest or loftiest uh, assessment of what's going on here, but I don't, I don't disagree with it. That's very, very nice of you to say, but for me, it's been liberating and it's been exciting to be in touch with a lot of these people again. And it's, it's led to other people who I probably wouldn't have approached were it not for these decades old relationships, you know, and, and including, you know, like this, like, you know, Billy was one of my best friends, Billy Rubin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I knew him pretty damn well. And we were, we would have to be out of touch for a few years. But then we were sort of back in touch. And he came out and, and saw the band and everything else. And then Gavin, I was talking to on the regular. In both of those interviews, I still learned. Yeah. You know what I mean? And these guys are like family to me. You are an old, old friend and someone I'm thrilled to have known. But for today was mind blowing for me. When you and I were sort of doing our pre interview chat, I was like, Holy fuck it, Cubby's gonna be gold, you know. <laughs> so you know, thank you for your take on it. Thank you for being willing to do it. Thank you for your openness and, uh, in general, I hope we can do it again, Rob. No, I, I would love to. And anytime, you know, it's like I'm, I'm open and and um and and to to hang out and, and just chat because it's you know it's again we 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 need that connection even though it's virtual we need we need that um, connection and I think it, it's uh it's uh it definitely is inspiring me to to. Can do, like even after this interview, I'm like, oh man, I got to go do this. I got to do this, and you know, do these things. So, oh. 
Um, so it's, it's definitely got me uh, my blood pumping. So I appreciate that. Okay. Well, that was episode 29, people. Rob Hayworth, take care. Hey, you take care of yourself, Dan. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.